I'm Kim. And I'm Tara. Welcome to Unapologetically You. Your jaw is going to hit the floor when you hear Amanda's story today. There are literally no words to describe this story. Amanda's parents run a home for troubled girls, and maybe the girls aren't the troubled ones. We had no idea that institutions like this still or ever existed in the United States. Yeah, like who's protecting these kids? Well, I'll tell you, Amanda sure is now. Stay tuned for Amanda's story to learn the true definition of strength. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to our podcast so that we can continue to bring you these awe-inspiring stories. Welcome, Amanda. Thank you so much for coming on our show. Thank you for having me. So all kids have different educational experiences. Sometimes kids go to private schools, sometimes kids go to public schools, and other times kids are homeschooled. But your experience is like none other that we know of. Um, your parents ended up opening up their own school, right? Correct. Yes. So how old were you when they opened up the school? I was 15 when they, they first opened up the Circle of Hope Girls Ranch. And where exactly is that school? That's actually in Humansville, Missouri. So what was their, I guess like when you open up a school, I mean, you have to have the drive and the passion and like the want to to educate these kids. And like, while um, Tara and I are both educators, so like we understand from that perspective, but what your parents did was, was a little bit out of the realm of your typical educational experience. So why don't you give us just like a little bit of background on what Circle of Hope is? So uh, my dad actually was a principal at a school like Circle of Hope in 1994. Um, I don't necessarily think it was like a passion of theirs. I think it's just, um, it was just easy, if that makes, it, it, it wasn't easy, but it's just, it was easy because that's what they knew. Um, my dad was uh, kicked out of the Marine Corps and my mom um, was medically discharged. And so I remember being like two and three and we were struggling like all the time for like food. So like we would constantly have beans and um, broccoli and cheese soup like forever. And so I think once they started working in these programs, it just became easy because first off you have the community because um, you, there's a whole bunch of other staff around and you don't have to pay for your food. Like the school supplies the food and then they pay you at the first home. I don't know how much my parents were pay, paid, but the first home paid for everything, like um, housing, water, trash, all of that. The second home did the same thing, but they went a little further. They paid for your television, your um, house like phone number. They paid for um, a whole bunch of different things. I can't remember everything they paid for, but they only gave you like $100 a week, I think it was. So like $400 a month, but they paid for everything else. So it wasn't like you needed to pay for anything else. So it became comfortable. But at each of these schools my parents worked at, there was always one person my dad didn't get along with. So the first home, my dad told us we left because it was becoming too nice. I actually found out later on, there's a lady, her name is actually Lucinda Pennington. She was on the, um, his FESPA house, Dr. Phil show. She worked with my parents in that first home in Florida. And when she came, she started allowing the girls to date boys. She started allowing the kids to watch movies, which was a huge no-no. Like it depended on the house, but the kids themselves in the school and myself, we weren't allowed to watch TV. And so like once that started, my dad decided, oh, well, it's too nice. I'm leaving. But I found out actually from Lucinda Pennington this year, once I started talking about Circle of Hope, she actually contacted CPS on my dad um, for touching girls inappropriately. And so that's why we left the first place. The second place, I think we left because the guy who was taking over was just as abusive as my dad and they did not get along. And so at that point, 
my mom and dad had been working in the trouble teen industry for at least 10, 11 years at, at least. And so um, they opened up Circle of Hope, which I thought was weird because when we first started talking about, or we, they first started talking about opening place, they were going to do co-ed, like boys and girls. But then it changed to um, just girls. And I think that was because they didn't want to compete with agape. But also later on, starting like talking to girls, I honestly think it was just because my dad, it's weird. My dad, he's a pervert. He, um, he has been caught sexually inappropriately touching girls. Um, and that's been happening since the 90s. So. so you mentioned agape. So agape is another type of troubled teen school, correct? Yes, it's actually 13 miles um, away from Circle of Hope. And um, it's for boys. We started working there. We moved there July 1st, 2001. Before we actually moved there, <laughs> we went and visited. And when we went and visited, I thought it was like the most nicest place ever. The boys didn't, they, I wasn't allowed to talk to the boys, but it didn't look like anything out of the norm because the three days we were there, everyone was on their best behavior. Basically, the day we moved there, everything was different. Like, we saw boys getting restrained. We saw boys being pushed. Now, when I say restraint, like, they would yell restraint and we would have to leave because, like, the women can't watch the boys. But you would still see the beginning of it because they're yelling restraint and they're throwing the boy to the ground. They did, like, the push-ups, the jumping jacks, but they also did, like, rock calling where you're out in 100-degree weather carrying rock from one pile to another pile to another, like, almost all day. Um, I can't speak on how often they got water because I wasn't part of the staff there. But if it was anything like Circle of Hope, Circle of Hope didn't get water when they wanted, when they were thirsty. How do these kids get to this, this situation? Like, how does, who, who decided that? You know, like, how, how does anybody look at these types of organizations and say, you know what, like, I'm going to send my kid there, you know? So Agape, actually, I would say about 25% of the boys were gang members that were actually court ordered there. So um, they were either involved in gangs, drugs, others. And this is the sad part because I absolutely love my friends that were court ordered there. And I don't mean this against them. Like we're really good friends. But the sad thing is some of those kids were like six year olds. They're not in gangs. They're not doing drugs. And you're putting them in with these gang members and they're learning this stuff. Like I learned all about drugs at Agape. And I wasn't even allowed to talk to the guys, but that's where I learned my stuff. And so some of the kids are sent there because their parents need a safe place, like abusive situation. And so they need to get out of that abusive situation. So they'll send them away. Um, some people just want their kids to get good education. I have a friend who told me just recently because he listened to Slipknot and wore um, heavy metal band jackets, you know, the, the jean jackets with patches. Yeah. He got sent there because his dad thought he was going to be the next metal head and his dad didn't want him to be a metal head, I guess. And so it was just, some of them are stupid things like that, but there are some that do need help, but you can't, you can't treat kids that need help with abuse. Like you can't, you can't treat them the way, I just remember um, my one friend actually hit me up and he was the first boy I ever remember them dragging out of the restraint room and he was all bloody in the face. You can't do that. You can't, you can't do that to kids. Even though he's a teen, you can't, he was a boy, but you can't do that. It's just. Right. And so is there anyone that's like checking in on these places and like, didn't, like anybody that knows what's going on? Like, how is all this happening and it's okay? My parents stayed in Missouri because Missouri has religious laws that protect religious establishments. Agape was kicked out of Washington State. The actual owner 
of agape was prosecuted and he fled Washington state, moved to Missouri, opened up agape. And it was in this article, it says, because agape is more lenient to religious organizations. So the laws keep the state from stepping in. So the state has been on Circle of Hope's case since 2007. It seems like even CPS had their hands tied and nothing was getting done. And I think it's, I know some of it's because of the religious organizations and people don't want to like attack religion, but at the same time, I feel like there's also corruption within the town. Sure. And somebody's got to be there to protect the kids. Can you describe to us, like, what what's like a typical day like there? When I was there, I would have to wake up at 4.30 in the morning, shower, get dressed, start breakfast, because I was in charge of the kitchen. Then I would have to wake up the older, or not the older, I would have to wake up the higher shirts. And um, they would start waking up all the lower shirts after they got their shower and got ready. And then they would go outside and do all of their higher shirts and lower shirts. What exactly is that? Okay. So they have a ranking system. When I was there, the lowest shirt was orange shirt. You come in, you're a new girl, you're put into an orange shirt. Then you um, go from an orange shirt to a yellow shirt. Once you start learning the rules and then you can go from a yellow shirt to a pink shirt. Now, when you're an orange shirt or a yellow shirt, you always have to have a pink shirt or a red shirt with you or a purple shirt, sorry, with you at all times because um, you're considered a run status. And so um, after the pink shirt, it went to purple shirt and you had more privileges, but you still weren't staff. And then um, the red shirt was staff. So the purple and the red shirts were the ones that would get up, take their showers and then wake up all the other lower shirts. Um, but yeah, they would wake up and then they would go out and do all their like horse work. So they would um, feed the horses, feed the cows, start um, gardening and stuff like that. Like when we moved in, the place was, the guy who owned it was a hoarder. So like literally had to rebuild that whole place. So when I say hard work, I mean like straight up hard work. Like construction workers should have been out there doing it. Not little 18 or not 18, sorry, not little 14 year old girls. So were you considered staff since your parents were running the place or? Yes, I was um, basically a red shirt, but I didn't have to wear a shirt color. Um, I did get to wear my own clothing. Um, I did run away in 2006, like two months after they opened, I ran away with two of their girls. And then when I got back, they put me in a shirt system, in the shirt system, but I was only in the shirt system for like two months. They, I basically was thrown on the wall, which is where it's kind of like time out where you're put into the corner, but on the wall, you're made to stay on the wall all day. You're facing the wall. You're looking at, you're either looking at the wall with your nose touching it, or you're reading your Bible. You have to wait for them to tell you you can pee. You have to wait for them to bring your food. You have to wait for them to do anything. You have absolutely no rights. You're basically the wall. That was the only time I was ever basically one of the girls, if that makes sense. Like I was still treated like their daughter. Like they would still beat me rather than like, I never got restrained. Never once did I get restrained. And a restraint is where my dad would pick up a girl, throw her to the ground and call the other higher up shirts. And um, we would have to put all of our weight on their pressure points. And we would be yelled at if we aren't pushing hard enough we were next. And so like, I would be sitting there like pressing as much as I can. And I was in so much pain for just putting weight on them, trying to get them in pain. So I can only imagine if that like only imagine the pain they were going through. Like the things that you're talking about are like, not even thinkable. Like, honestly, what pops in my head is like handmaid's tale. Like it just like that, 
that dynamic. Yeah, I yeah. could not even walk. I started and I got like, I think 10 minutes into it. And I looked at my husband. I was like, I'm having like straight up PTSD right now. I cannot watch this. Th- that's like, it's physical abuse. It's mental abuse. It's verbal abuse. It, it all goes hand in hand. But like you were a 15 year old girl. Like what were you supposed to do? You know, like that's, that's really challenging. Well, and see, I don't know if you know about this, but there was a boy this year. His name's Cornelius Frederick. May 1st, he lost his life for being restrained the same way us teenagers were restraining our teenage friends. And honestly, everything out of my childhood, I think the most traumatizing part was having to do that to my other friends. Like I can take pain. I can deal with that. But like the emotional trauma of having to put while it was happening, it was just survival, survival mode. But like looking back at it now, it's so traumatizing. Um, we had a, a girl, her name was Rachel Kelso. At the time, I was always raised on mental illnesses are not real. So I didn't realize that she was severely mentally challenged. She's like a little five-year-old, sweetest, sweetest woman ever. But um, she was one that I was made to restrain and a whole bunch of our other people were, and she has mental, developmental delays. And that, honestly, that's, to me, that was the most traumatizing part of the whole thing is looking back and knowing that being 15, I was forced to restrain a handicapped girl. I don't know how to say that politically correct, but she was there for 13 years. She finally got out this year, but I found out that she was being restrained as an adult. Not only as a teenager, are you like struggling to figure out who you are, but now you're being told that you have to follow these like significant rules that you recognize are terrible things to do, but what else are you supposed to do? Like you said, you're like, like it's that survival mode of like, I don't know what else to do. This is, this is my life. Well, and then also I was born into this industry. So like, this is something I witness other adults do as an eight year old, as a six year old. And so it was just normal to me. So, okay. So 15, after you ran away, you came back, you had to get into the shirt system yourself, but then you came out of it. So then, then what happened after that? Uh, my mom actually couldn't cook any, like do the cooking, the school and stuff. So they put me back into like being a staff member. They ended up having my brother and his wife and then a guy and a female come work with us. I'm not sure who told my parents, but when I was 17, there was a little girl, she was five, and um, she was crying. And I asked her why she was crying. And she said she didn't want her mom to go to hell for wearing pants. I hugged her and I was like, honey, if your mom's going to hell for wearing pants, that means my dad's mom is in hell. My dad's sister is in hell. And my sister is in hell because all three of those women wore pants. And I think it was either the staff member or one of the girls, they went back and told my parents. And so at the age of 17, they ended up um, kicking me out. They made me sit outside my dad's desk or outside my dad's office at a desk for, uh, I want to say it was like a month until my mom's um, aunt passed away and my grandma was coming up to the funeral. And so my grandma was like, well, I'll take her in. Like I literally was going to be homeless. I had nowhere to go. I was planning on leaving at 18. They caught, they got my phone. And at that time I was talking to three guys trying, cause I wanted to find a husband. Like I was to to get get out. out. Yeah. Yeah. And I was going to do anything. And so I was thankful that my grandma took me in and I didn't um, initially end up homeless, but. Um, So how did, how did you get to this point? Well, so I was living with my grandma and to be honest, um, there was a lot of issues because my whole childhood, my mom was always talking bad about my grandma. Like my grandma would take us to movies. My grandma would give us a fun time. And my mom hated that. We loved our grandma. 
So she would always talk bad. So I always had that negative thought of my grandma, even though I knew that she was the only reason why I had anything fun happen in my childhood. She, um, my grandpa died. And um, when they would take us to Bush Gardens, I was too small to fit on a roller coaster ride. And so I would punch and kick my grandpa. And I, um, instead of him beating me like my dad would beat me, he would pick me up and hug me and sing me a song. And he died and <laughs> it just destroyed. It, 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 I went off the deep end. I don't know how else to say it. I was meeting random people on MySpace. I ran my grandmother's phone bill up. So I told her, I was like, I don't want to live here anymore. And it basically was because it was my grandpa's house and like being in there, it was just, I don't know. And so I moved in with an ex, my first boyfriend outside the situation, ended up pregnant and he beat the shit out of me and I lost my baby. Um, my friend, Amy, her boyfriend took me in, but then it got weird. He's like, marry me, marry me. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm just not going to marry you. He kicks me out. And so I, I went homeless. I, I went homeless in California. And so I called my mom because I ended up in the hospital that night. And I was like, hey, mom, I'm scared. Like, can you please, please just turn on my phone. Like, please just turn on my phone. I need a phone. I'm going to be on the streets tonight. I have absolutely nowhere to go. I don't know anyone out here. And she said, no, but you can call your brother Nate and see if he will pay for it. The nurse let me use her phone. I called him and he bought me a plane ticket to North Carolina. I ended up marrying his best friend out of convenience. And Nate, my, my brother Nate and him ended up deploying. And when he deployed, I was getting messages after messages from people saying he was cheating on me. And so I was like, well, if he's cheating on me, screw it. I actually moved to California with a former Agape student and we decided to go for a divorce. But when I got to California, I got into drugs. I didn't know I was dealing with trauma that I've never dealt with at the time. And the person I was living with didn't know he was dealing with drama or trauma from agape at the time either. That relationship ended extremely bad. I can just remember calling up my best friend who was his best friend at one point, yelling at her because he was breaking up with me. And um, I eventually ended up homeless again. <laughs> I was only homeless for about two weeks this time, but I was living in Long Beach on the streets, having to sell drugs. And thankfully, I met someone who got me a job in an apartment complex. And the friend that I yelled at for my ex-boyfriend stuck by me basically through all of that. And so like, I'm, she's like my sister to this day, but just having her by me showed me, I know it was really slow, but show me what a human should be like. Showed me that it doesn't matter if you're fucked up doing things that you have to do to survive. I'm not condoning the, the selling of drugs. I'm just saying like, I had to do what I had to do to survive. She never once judged me. She was there for me no matter what. If it weren't for her and her family, I highly doubt I would be the person I am today. It wasn't until I had my first son, though, that I started realizing that I went through a lot of shit. <laughs> like, my friend Mandy showed me that I was raised messed up. But once I had my son, and I, he was like two, and he either bit me or he hit me. I can't remember which one. And I just picked him up, put him on my lap and spanked him like my parents used to spank me. And he had a red mark on his arm because he's put, he put his arm behind his back. And my husband comes running in or my um, boyfriend comes running in like, what the fuck did you do? And I was like, I spanked him. He hit me. This is how I was raised, you know? 
And um, I told him, I was like, you have no idea. Like I was raised on this book called To Train Up a Child. If you want me to, I will buy this book and I'll read it to you. Like this is how I was raised. Like, and I don't want my kids to turn out bad. Like, so I'm going to, you know, and so he convinced me to start therapy. And I um, basically getting into therapy, like showed me like, oh, well, uh, it was so bad that my, my therapist wanted me to do hypnosis, but I was too frightened to even do hypnosis. Um, but it, it, it taught me that we don't treat kids that way. Like my parents are, cre- and I don't mean this to offend anyone that's listening that ever went through a troubled teen industry. I am a broken person today because of what my parents did. But these girls are already coming to them broken. And you're breaking them more to the point that it's almost impossible for them to even fix themselves in the future. Um, Alone this year, we've had five agape students, um, ex-agape friends commit suicide because they could no longer deal with the trauma they went through. So now, I guess, um, so there is some good news that has come out of this recently. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Um, August 14th. They actually, CPS and uh, Cedar County Sheriff's Department showed up and removed five girls from the home. Then August 16th, they went back and removed another 12 and another five. So 23 girls were removed from Circle of Hope. Um, It's official that there have not been any girls at Circle of Hope since then. And they have been under investigation. I've been called by um, news station after news station after news station alone from Missouri and multiple of them have confirmed that the um, public attorney for Cedar County has officially stated that there is a multi-state investigation going on with Circle of Hope. That's amazing. It is like that. Like, I know this is like terrible, but like, I just got the chills because I'm so glad that like justice might be served here. Right. Some form of relief, like just a little bit form of relief, knowing that no girl would be sleeping there that night. That's so great. And so then now, I mean, obviously you don't have a relationship with your parents, but do you have a relationship with your brother at all? I actually have um, four brothers. My oldest one, he's like 50 something. We never had like a bond. So we never really talked anyways. My mm-hmm. second older brother, I found out um, through therapy that he, um, he sexually molested me when I was five. And so I absolutely have no, no contact with him. I cannot, I just, I can't face that. And then um, my brother, Nate, he is the only one I talk to. Um, my younger brother, is still at circle of hope he breaks my heart he um he was i was nine when he was born when he was born my mom was distant my mom was always distant but my mom was really distant with him like i remember having to change his diapers i remember having to make his bottles and feed him take him to the nursery because we lived on like a community so like i would have to walk from one end of the property to the other i was the one doing all of that not my mom he was nine when i left I wanted to, I wanted to take him so bad with me because I didn't want to leave. Like I knew, I knew what he would be going through alone. (laughs) I mean, he had the girls, but I knew what it's like living with my parents in their house and he didn't have me. Like I thankfully had my older brother, Nate, to like take some things away. Like he would take a lot of the abuse from me. (laughs) And, um, unfortunately 
he was there for nine more years alone and hasn't left. Uh, he, he told me when he was 17 that he wanted out. He's like, I'm going to move out there with you when you're, when I'm 18. And I was like, yeah, by all means, I'll have a room ready. <laughs> He's now, he'll be 21 this year and he is, doesn't even want to talk to me. Oh, I'm so sorry. It's so awful. But at the same time, like that, that's how you dealt with your trauma with was by leaving. Yeah. I am sure that there is also a giant part of him that that what's preventing him from leaving is just the fear of it all. Yeah. Like, this is what he's known his whole life. And of course he deserves more. Of course, all those kids deserve more. Like nobody deserves to have to go through something like that. Um, but you can't take that ownership or that any of that to heart. Like that's not on you by any means, you know, you were just a kid too. I just wanted so much better for him. And then all these girls are coming forward telling me that he's doing the same thing my dad's done. And I'm just like, they ruined him. My parents destroyed him. And it breaks my heart because I have a video of my mom telling my brother, oh, hey, it's your sister's birthday. And he's all like, oh, I don't have a sister. I'm like, you have no idea, Julian. At the same, like at the same time now, all, all you can hope for, and I think all anybody can hope for is that like, look at how much attention you have brought to this place. I mean, again, we didn't know about this. Everybody on TikTok didn't know about this. Like you're using your platform to bring awareness to this so that justice can be served and shit like this can stop existing altogether. And somebody somewhere should be held accountable <laughs> absolutely this cannot exist anymore right what advice would you give to somebody who survived going through this type of institution like is there anything that you can offer somebody that that's coming out of this as a survivor um talk about it to be honest um but speaking about it has relieved so much of the guilt of because I felt guilty. Like, I felt guilty that it happened to me. It, just talking about it has, I know I still feel alone, but I don't feel as alone as I did. Um, it has been healing, letting other people know, like, hey, I went through this. Um, this is weird, but I don't know if you saw Paris Hilton is actually coming out with a documentary. She went through a program just like this. And just hearing that she's coming out with the documentary has like most of the circle of hope girls and myself are just like more validated, but we don't feel as alone anymore. Cause it's like, Oh wow. What? Like even someone like right. her went through something similar, like almost exactly like we went through. So yeah. the more people speaking about it, the better. I honestly feel like if you speak about it, it's more healing than not speaking on it it at least helps heal other people and that's that is so that's that's like that's the whole intent of this podcast right is that not only does it help you to share your own story and like recognize that you're not alone and that some of these things that have happened to you aren't your fault and that you are an amazing individual regardless of what has happened to you none of that defines you but it also is so healing and so helpful and therapeutic to others and you're helping somebody else that may have experienced similar things, maybe not even at a school, but maybe in their own house, this was like their situation, you know? So kudos to you for your willingness to being able to share this. What should someone do if they suspect that there's an institution near them that is 
perhaps acting in an inappropriate way, you know, towards kids or towards, you know, people that are living there. So there's a school, it was, I think, called Bethel Boys Academy in Alabama. It actually got shut down because there was this one, I want to say neighbor, that started paying attention. And they went to a police officer who just was so adamant about knowing, like, he knew something was going on. And he just started, like, taking pictures and, like, surveillancing, basically, and gathering as much evidence as he could until that home officially got shut down. I think it was, like, a year or so later. Um, Mm -hmm. But I honestly... I would say I would just take pictures. If you drive by it, take pictures. Um, Just with us coming forward this year, we found out that the whole, the like almost the whole town always felt like something was wrong with Circle of Hope. They all, all of them have like a suspicion. What have you learned about yourself going through this entire process? I am stronger than I have ever. (laughs) And I don't mean that to like pat myself on the back, but I never thought I would be able to stand up against my dad. Like just hearing his voice in that video that was sent to me in March sent me back to being like a little girl again. But just coming forward and being able to speak my truth has showed me that I can face him no matter what. Like I I, I will be able to face him one day. What has been the hardest part about your journey? So before my parents got super religious, I was always hanging out with my dad. Um, I would like people would be like, "How's, where's your dad?" And I'd be like, "Right here. He's wrapped around my finger." Or um, stupid, but he would give me tobacco, and I would chew tobacco when I was like two and spit it into a can. Like I was a daddy's girl. <laughs> the hardest part of this is my parents thinking that I don't love them anymore, and that that I'm doing this to destroy them. When in fact that. I'm trying to help them because what they are doing is wrong and they've been doing it for at least 23 years, at least 23 years. And I told them when I left that I would, we were raised abusive and my mom straight up told me, well, I would do it all over again. And so nothing is going to, nothing is going to stop them unless I do what I'm doing now. And it just breaks my heart knowing that they don't not that they will ever see it that way but they just don't see it as I'm trying to help them like I care about them they always taught us tough love and to them was tough love was like beating you well to me tough love is doing something that is extremely hard even for you for the person you love to help them and I think that's the hardest part is just knowing that they look at it differently and I'm not doing it for any malice reasons like there's no malicious intent behind what I'm doing. What do you hope the takeaway is of your story for our listeners? Um, Mainly, I hope they know they're not alone, but I want most parents, if parents are listening, to know that even if you need help for your child, you need to look into these places a little better. If you aren't allowed to speak to your kid at any time of the day that you want, I would definitely not send my child there. If You are not allowed to write your children letters without the owners reading them. I would not send your child there. You are still a parent and you deserve as much right to your children because you are the parent and they should not be taking that away. These, not all of these places, but a lot of these places aren't helping your kids. They're making them worse. They really are. And I don't mean that to offend anyone that went through this. I just know from my experience, it was, life was extremely hard for me after. 
And I just don't want any other person to have to go through what I did. And even knowing what my other friends had to go through after Circle of Hope, I don't want them to go through the stuff they had to go through as well. You're honestly a true inspiration. You have literally been to hell and back and here you are like fighting for other people, fighting to ensure that this is done and over with and bringing awareness to something that none of us even knew existed. But before you go, we have just some fun, super lighthearted pop questions. (laughs) Uh, What is your spirit animal? I would say an owl. Um, If you were a superhero, what would your power be? Oh, no. <laughs> Invisibility, I think, is like my favorite. I want to be invisible. <laughs> That's super fun. Um, if you could meet anyone, living or dead, who would it be? Paris Hilton. I want to meet her so bad, especially knowing she went through something similar. <laughs> Good answer. Um, what is your stance on pineapple on pizza? Absolutely love pineapple on pizza, as long as there's jalapenos. <laughs> um, if you could have an endless supply of anything, what would it be? Makeup. that's that's a good answer it is well again we cannot thank you enough for sharing your story with us you are the very definition of the word strength thank you so much for being unapologetically you well thank you for having me and I absolutely love that I got to meet you guys we're so happy you joined us and we hope this story inspired you to be unapologetically you Join us next time for another remarkable journey. And if you or someone you know has a story to share, please reach out to us on our website at unapologeticallyyoupodcast.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and Instagram at unapologeticallyyoupodcast. And please subscribe, rate, and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Podbean so that we can continue to inspire you.